0: A hundred years ago, this entity was a reportable disease, with fewer than 400 cases, and it is now the most common cause of death from cancer in both men and women in the developed world. The disease has no particular symptoms or signs for its detection at an early stage. Most of the patients therefore present at an advanced stage. Today, our patient has lung cancer, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on-call. Today's episode is entitled Small and Non-Small Cells, An Approach to Lung Cancer. Alright, time for a minute physiology. The World Health Organization defines lung cancer as tumors arising from the respiratory epithelium. The most significant contributor is cigarette smoke, accounting for 80 to 85% of all lung cancer cases. Environmental exposure is often compounded by genetic susceptibility. Notably, though, approximately 20% of lung cancer occurs in non smokers, and these are often distinguished by different molecular and clinical phenotypes. Based on the different cell types and clinical features, we divide lung cancers into two major classes small-cell lung cancer, and non-small-cell lung cancer. Non-small-cell lung cancer further divides into adenocarcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and large-cell carcinoma. There is also a rarer form of lung cancer in adults known as bronchial carcinoid. Small-cell lung cancer arises from pulmonary neuroendocrine cells and forms centrally located tumors. It has the potential to grow rapidly and metastasize early but demonstrates high response rates to chemotherapy. Small cell lung cancer is also associated with the classic perineoplastic syndromes, such as SIADH and Lambert-Eaton syndrome, to name a few. Now, let's talk about the three subtypes of non-small cell lung cancer. Adenocarcinoma is the most common form of non-small cell lung cancer and accounts for almost all diagnoses in non-smokers. Adenocarcinoma arises from small airway epithelial and type 2 alveolar cells and tend to form glands, secrete mucin, and may arise at a site of scarring as well. It is also associated with digital clubbing, sometimes called hypertrophic pulmonary osteoarthropathy. Squamous cell carcinoma is a non-small cell lung cancer that can be remembered as the three C's. Central, as it usually presents as a central lesion arising from the large and proximal airway epithelial cells, cavitating, as it accounts for the most cavitating lung carcinomas, and calcemia, as squamous cell carcinoma is associated with PTH-related peptide secretion, which leads to hypercalcemia. Finally, there is large cell carcinoma, which is much less common. Large cell carcinoma behaves similar to adenocarcinomas in presenting as a peripheral lesion. However, it tends to be somewhat larger, Hence the name. So now that we've talked about the basic pathophysiology, let's talk about the approach. Most early stage lung cancers are discovered incidentally on chest imaging. However, locally advanced and stage 4 disease generally presents because of symptoms. A study found that patients usually wait more or less three weeks from symptom onset before seeing a doctor, which contributes to important delays in initiating treatment. When thinking about signs and symptoms of local disease, you might think about cough, hemoptysis, dyspnea, chest pain, and non-resolving pneumonia. These symptoms often overlap with symptoms from other chronic pulmonary diseases, which may delay diagnosis. Symptoms due to metastases generally reflect the site of metastatic disease and include classic B symptoms such as weight loss and night sweats. And given the predilection of spread to brain, adrenals, liver, and bone, symptoms can also include seizures, headaches, or bone pain. On history, other information that you should gather include lung cancer risk factors, including the patient's smoking pack year history, first or second hand smoke, prior radiation therapy, Exposure to environmental toxins, pulmonary fibrosis, HIV infection, and family history of lung cancer. You also want to ask about comorbidities that may impact systemic therapy options. For example, a history of autoimmune disease is important to note as it may be a contraindication to immunotherapy. When pursuing your workup, initial blood work should be sent for basic biochemistry, including CBC, electrolytes, extended electrolytes creatinine, liver enzymes, and liver function tests. Imaging includes a CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis with contrast to provide an accurate assessment of the location and size of the tumor within the chest, as well as help direct tissue biopsy for diagnosis and staging. In patients not known to have metastatic disease, who are being considered for radical treatment or curative treatment, a PET CT is undertaken. Brain imaging, usually with brain MRI, should be done in almost everyone. As we say in oncology, tissue is the issue. The definitive diagnosis of lung cancer requires tissue histopathology. There are many techniques available for tissue diagnosis, and the strategy will depend on the size and location of the tumor. In general, mediastinal and central lesions are best approached with bronchoscopy, with or without endobronchial ultrasound, or EBUS and peripheral lesions are best approached with a transthoracic needle aspiration. It is key to obtain sufficient tissue for histologic examination, as well as molecular and biomarker testing. On to our treatment. There are a few questions you must ask before even considering treatment. What is the intent of therapy? Is it with curative intent or palliative intent? Is the patient fit for therapy? How are the symptoms related to the treatment or underlying disease going to be addressed, for instance, nausea, pain, psychosocial distress, cough, or dyspnea? And most importantly, are there urgent or emergent symptoms that need or require local therapies first, such as brain mats, cord compression, or superior vena cava obstruction? as these will always take precedence. It is also important to consider your patient's goals of care. In terms of modalities of treatment, there are three broad categories. First, surgery for local disease. Second, radiation therapy. And third, systemic therapy. Systemic therapy includes chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and targeted therapy, which depends on the histology, biomarkers, and molecular makeup of the cancer. The actual therapies are not within the scope of this podcast. Once a lung cancer diagnosis is made, it is important to make a referral to the medical oncology team specializing in lung cancer in order to help determine the appropriate treatment. From there, they may also see radiation oncology, surgical oncology, as well as palliative care to formulate a comprehensive care plan. All right, time for a medicine minute. In a Nejem article in 2011, the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial showed that screening with the use of low-dose CT demonstrated a reduction in mortality from lung cancer. Patients that should be considered for this in Canada include patients 55 to 74 years of age, either current or former heavy smokers that quit less than 15 years ago, with a minimum of a 30-pack year history. In Canada, we do three serial low-dose CT scans on a yearly basis, if you fit within this criteria. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Small and Non-Small Cells, an Approach to Lung Cancer. This episode was written by Dr. Coralie Capel, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Peter Ellis, medical oncologist, and Dr. Daniel Brant vegas general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nathan Dubnick. The Internetwork series was created by Alison Lai and is executively produced by Alison Lai, Zara Morali, and Leah Karianopoulos. Theme song by Lakshman Fizantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe it wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic and extra resources on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, we hope to see you again soon.